0: We're in the middle of a sermon series looking at the life of Moses, as told in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Last couple of weeks we've seen how God has delivered his people, the Israelites, from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And now they're in the desert place, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they're in a place of pilgrimage and a place of wonder. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 16. It's on page 126 in the Bibles, so if you want to follow. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to pick up again a little bit later uh, to verse, where should I go from, uh, 31. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aram. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then on to verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm sure we've all had the experience of trying to um, help our children uh, drop bad habits. You have had the own in your family, we've had ours in our family. Sucking thumbs, uh, biting nails, using a knife and fork properly, all of that kind of stuff. And we all know it can take time uh, to change habits, it can take a lifetime uh, for some of us. In this story, we see that God is trying to help his children, the children of Israel, drop bad habits and learn new habits. Some of our ladies from St. Giles went on a prayer day yesterday, a retreat day. And there they were thinking about some of the, the narratives that have shaped how they've grown up, the stories that they've been told as children or as young women that have affected them in later life. If you tell somebody constantly that they're anxious, just like their grandma, they become anxious themselves. If you tell a child they can't do something, it's unlikely they will succeed. And for 400 years, God's children, the people of Israel, the people we know as the Hebrews, have had a narrative told to them, a script they must live by. They've been told that they are slaves and that they are destined to a life of slavery. And they've been told that the gods, the Egyptian gods, demand hard service from them. That they're to slave from the beginning of the day to the end of the day to satisfy these false gods. And these gods will take everything from them. Their labour, their years, their children, their hope and their future. And this narrative has shaped them. This is what they think God is like. Because this is what the gods that they have known have been like. Every day for years they've been building temples to the gods, building great uh, pyramids for the pharaohs of Egypt. Why then should their God, the God who made heaven and earth, be anything different? It will take God 40 years to change this way of thinking. It took him just a few days to break them out of Egypt, to free them from being slaves. But it will take them 40 years to stop thinking like a slave. God takes them into the desert. And suddenly, they're vulnerable. Pharaoh was terrible, but at least Pharaoh gave them food. The slave drivers were awful, but at least they gave them somewhere to live what shall we do now and there's great melodrama in this story i love those opening couple of verses you have brought us into the desert to die that's what i hear when i talk to my children trying to break a habit this will kill me god has brought them into the desert But not that they will die, but so that he can provide for them. Every morning, they'll find manna on the ground. Every evening, a flock of quail will fly into the camp and they can catch some birds and they can eat. In the next chapter, chapter 17, if you sneak a peek ahead, they're worried about water. And God tells Moses to uh, strike a stone, and water pours forth, and they can quench their thirst. God is teaching them a lesson. And the lesson is this You don't need to slave for me, you don't have to earn my approval, you don't have to worry that I'm going to kill you. You are my possession, but you're not a slave. You are my precious, precious possession. You are my children. I'm going to feed you every day. And I'm going to walk with you with a a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And I'm going to protect you and guard you and watch over you. God is teaching them a new way of thinking. That he loves them And cares for them. He set them free from a spiritual, uh, a physical captivity. Now he's setting them free from a spiritual captivity. There's a lesson they need to learn and relearn and relearn and relearn. They are no longer slaves. They are free people. At the beginning part of the last century... Uh, A psychiatrist uh, was, well, a young man was, uh, a child was born who grew up to become a young man, He became a psychiatrist. He's called Maslow, and he popularized a concept which has become known as the hierarchy of needs, sometimes called the pyramids of needs, fitting for this morning. He had a really, really difficult childhood. Uh, He was uh, quite small, quite slight of frame. Uh, he was from a, a Jewish uh, immigrant family, he was uh, bullied, he lived in a tough uh, neighbourhood. He had a very, very uh, domineering mother, who he, as, a, as a grown man, he said, she was the most selfish person that I ever knew. And he grew up asking himself one question, what does it take to be happy? What does it take to be whole? What does it take to be confident? What does it uh, take to be a together person? What does it need? What are the conditions that need to be there for a child to grow up and be whole and confident and uh, sorted and together? And he came up with uh, an observation that's been uh, carried on by other people. He said, well, actually, it's not just one thing. But there's a a hierarchy of things. There's a group of things. There's a kind of basic level of things. There's a foundation that you need if you're going to develop and grow up and be a, a whole person. You need really basic physical things to be met. You need food. And you need water. You need a place where you can be warm. You need a place where you can sleep. You need your physical things to be looked after. No one can develop Unless those things are in place. And they said, on top of that foundation, there's another level of things that you need if you're going to be whole, if you're going to be together, if you're going to be sorted. He said, beyond the physical needs, well, then there's social needs. You need to belong. You need people whom you can relate to. You need love, and you need friendship, and you need companionship. You need to be part of a gang. You need to be in a tribe. You need to be in a family. And that's where a lot of people stop. And that's, that's where they're content. But actually, there's, there's something else that you need as well. There's an extra level on the pyramid. There's a, there's a top, there's a capstone that goes above it all. You have what's called transcendent needs, or his word was transcendent needs. There's something more just beyond eating and drinking. There's something more just beyond family and friends. You need purpose. You need meaning. You need answers to questions. You need to know why you're here and what you're here for. He said the people who he observed who were most content, who were most secure, who were most confident were people who had answers to those questions. They didn't all have the same answer. They had different answers, but they had an answer to that question. Why am I here? And what am I here for? God knows his people have physical needs, that they're hungry in the desert, and he feeds them. God knows that his people have uh, social needs, He takes a group of people who are just uh, slaves and uh, binds them together into a community. Later on, he'll give them laws to govern their common life uh, together. And he knows they have uh, transcendent needs as well. Time and again, he tells them who they are and what they're there for. Through the prophets in the Old Testament, he says again and again, you are my people and I am your God. The book of Exodus was written uh, almost 2,000 years before Jesus. And then Jesus will come on the scene, and his story is told in the New Testament. And Jesus, too, knows that people get hungry and they get thirsty and they need community. One day he'll be teaching. There'll be a huge crowd uh, gathered before him. Uh, they're hanging on his every word. They come early in the morning. They listen to his uh, teaching. They say, he, he has the words of eternal life. He feeds our souls. And then it gets on to lunchtime and it gets later on in the afternoon and uh, stomachs start to grumble and people start to get restless, but they won't go because they can't leave him. But they're hungry. And Jesus says, have we got anything to feed these people with? And there's a young boy and he's got, he's got five loaves and he's got two fishes and Jesus blesses those. And so there's baskets of food and they're passed out among the people. Jesus knows that people need to feel safe. He's in a boat with his disciples and a storm rises up and the boat is tossed to and fro and uh, people are frightened. They worry they're going to die. And Jesus, in a word, stills the storm. Peace, be still, he says. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry, and to be thirsty, and to be lonely, and to be afraid. He would be alone in the desert like the people of God in the Old Testament, but not for 40 years, for 40 days and 40 nights. And he would be tempted Tempted to use his powers, uh, tempted to use his ability to perform miracles to turn stone into bread. And Jesus answers that temptation. He says this to the tempter Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Maslow was right. We do need bread. We do need to eat and drink and have a safe place to live, but we need more than that too. We cannot live by bread alone. This has been proved time and time again, but I recently came across the story of Howard Hughes who I think uh, proves this beyond all doubt. He was born on Christmas Eve in 1905, born in America. He was an entrepreneur. An investor, an aviator, an engineer, a philanthropist. During his lifetime, he went from nothing to becoming one of the richest men in the world. He was a genius, a prodigy. As a child, he built himself a motorbike from the parts in his father's garage. He, as a young man, set up his own corporation, the Summa Corporation, the Everything Corporation, He entered the film business, the real estate business, the aviation business. He succeeded at everything. When he died, he had a a personal fortune in his bank account of over $3 million. And that was in the 1950s. He spent over $3 million in property. He didn't like to live in a house. He preferred to live in hotels. So he'd rent the top floor of a hotel for months, sometimes years at a time, and have room service meet all of his needs. Uh, He particularly liked a a hotel in the desert of Las Vegas, uh, the Desert Inn. He liked it so much he bought it, and again lived on the top floor as the only guest. There was one thing wrong with the hotel. He found it difficult to sleep. At night... He could see over to Las Vegas, and there was a particular uh, casino there called the Silver Slipper. And it was famous because it had a giant neon sign of a Silver Slipper on its roof. He bought the casino and turned off the light, and then he could get a good night's sleep. He could satisfy every whim. He lived on ice cream. His favourite flavour was Baskin and Robbins, banana nut ice cream. And he asked his uh, personal assistant to get him a lifetime supply of banana nut ice cream from Baskin and Robbins. She found to her horror that Baskin and Robbins had discontinued that line. What would be an order that we could make that would encourage you to take up this line again and to produce again banana nut ice cream? 200 gallons, came the answer. The order was booked. 200 gallons of ice cream was delivered. Howard Hughes declared that he'd gone off banana nut flavour ice cream and now now light chocolate marshmallow. His hotels and casinos were famous for giving away free ice cream, any flavour so long as it was banana nut. Howard Hughes died a recluse. He died on one of his airplanes, uh, flying along. The plane landed and he was dead. He was taken to a mortuary in a hospital. He was a big man. He was six foot four, but he weighed just 40 kilos. He hadn't shaved for months. His hair was unkempt. He had long fingernails, never cut his uh, fingernails. He was unrecognisable from the man everybody knew knew as a young man. He died of malnutrition. And when they x-rayed him, they found uh, glass syringes in his arms where he'd been injecting drugs and the syringes had uh, broken off. He died a broken man. A wealthy man, but a poor man. Man does not live by bread alone. 1500 years after the events in Exodus, where God feeds his people every day with manna from heaven, Jesus will stand up in the temple courts and he will say this I am the bread of life, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. This bread is my flesh, and I will give this bread for the life of the world. Whoever feeds on this living bread will have life forever. You're on to say, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will rise up within them. Our lesson today is simple. The lesson of Exodus is straightforward. God is interested in you and He's interested in all of your life, every aspect of your life. Your material needs, your physical needs, your transcendental needs, as Maslow would put it. He's interested in the very stuff of life, your worries about your bank balance. How you put food on the table for your family. Concerns about paying the mortgage and your housing. How your kids are doing at school. He knows about all these things and he is sufficient for all these things. Jesus would say this to an anxious people. I tell you, do not worry about your life. people of God in the Old Testament had to learn a lesson that God was not a slave driver but was a merciful provider a gracious giver that they were not servants but sons and daughters of a living God we need to learn that lesson too it's something we forget time and time and time again Jesus would say to his disciples, people who he had uh, given food to, who he had lived with, people who he loved. Don't forget, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. The only thing that we can give to God is our anxiety, and he will graciously take it. But there's a second lesson here too. And it's that Jesus is the bread of life. And it's only in Jesus that our deepest needs can be met. Those things that go beyond just the physical or the social, things we might be called uh, the spiritual. Jesus made incredible claims, incredible statements. What's Jesus' answer to the question, who are you and what are you here for? What did Jesus say to a waiting, watching world? Where did Jesus say that you could find meaning and purpose and direction? He said, believe in me. He said, feed on me. He said, trust in me, rest upon me, follow me. Jesus says you don't find the answers to those questions out there, but you find them in me, in himself. Because Jesus is no ordinary person, but is the God of heaven in human flesh, the gracious God who provides in the desert, who walked on earth. So our message this morning is a simple one. Stop trying to be a slave and rejoice in becoming a son and daughter. I no longer call you servants but friends. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And for those of us who've walked with you for many years, we pray that you'd remind us again of the truth of this. That you would help us again to put our trust in you and you would forgive us. For in our anxieties and our fears uh, lead us away from you when we try to live life in our own strength. Lord, pray for those who uh, are among us who don't know you, not sure about you. Lord, pray that you give uh, us and them the confidence to begin to explore, to investigate, to ask and to seek and in time to find. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again this time. The Lord's my shepherd. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me beside the still, still waters. His goodness restores my soul. Let's stand and sing. to take a seat if you um, pick up the bulletin all our notices are in there please do take these um, with you I've already mentioned uh, the bake-off um, we've got a shine light party um, this year that we're doing on the 1st of November kind of alternative to Halloween thing here um, at the church is looking for helpers with that so if you think uh, you might be able to help with that please do let us know details uh, there are, are on there too There's some notices there about street pastors and some other events um, that we've got going on.